You're tuned into Office Hours for now. Broadcasting live from the town of the crowd. The sneakers of on, breaking down the saga tough. Distribution and creation of the prize we lust. The reasoning behind why sneakerheads can find it tough. To try to find a pair, not kind of fair, it's life and thus. Applying your research to track down Oz's wizard. Artificial scarcity making the fucking bitter. We love shoes, but the game changed so fast. I miss the days of rocking my Nike Moabs. Don't ask. Trust the reseller platforms. Now those who love kicks are holding hats torn. The game changed and the feeling felt that scorn. But wonder stocks running off with some facts form. So tune in to the Office Hours podcast to follow up on all that passion, not that hot trash. You were tuned in to Office Hours. Subscribe, like, share, review, and all that. Hello, friends, and welcome to Office Hours with the Sneaker Savant. I'm your host, Shuf Cohen. If you haven't been with us, Office Hours is an education-centric discussion about all things sneakers, at least all things that matter. And today we're going to be expanding into some things that aren't sneakers. Today's episode marks the start of our new format, half sneaker talk and half digital collectibles, otherwise known as NFTs. From here on out, y'all can expect topics from both realms. All right, so today on our 9-4 recording of Office fucking hours here, the Russ Bangston tweet, we're, we're looking at uh, what is a better investment, stocks or streetwear? So what are you thinking? I love, Again, I love Russ. I think Russ is great. He intimidates me. Um, if you don't know who Russ is, do you know who Russ is? I don't. I was just about to ask you, who's Russ? Russ is a guy that I've like been uh, – I, I, I feel like I could have been Russ in a past life. You know, like our, our circles are so close, but not intersecting. So he used to write for Slam Magazine and he did all these editorials. He did all this writing for Slam. And I want to say that he actually became like editor in chief at some point. I'm not totally sure if that's uh, how it played out. And I'm sure that I've probably read a hundred articles written by Russ through Slam um, and kicks throughout the years. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't know it was Russ. And I only kind of learned about Russ in the past two or three years. But he's had like a huge hand in documenting um, sneakers and streetwear culture for the past, I'm going to say probably past 25 years. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but like that's, that's what I've gathered just by following him on Twitter. And, you know, I listened to a couple of his interviews, read a couple of his things. And, um, I think Russ and I were probably – we're probably close in age. I mean, he might be a few years older than me, but I think we kind of fall on on opposite sides of a lot of the, the, the debates okay. you know, that go on. And I think, no disrespect meant here whatsoever, but I think he's a bit more on the cynical side and I'm a bit more on the skeptical side of mm, most yeah. related topics. And I mean, I, whenever I see a Russ tweet, it doesn't really even matter what it is. I, I stopped to read it and stopped to ingest it because I think he's just a, he has a way. Let me take a step back. Like Twitter for me, Twitter was always just this weird thing. Like when I first heard about Twitter, the very first time I heard about it and I was thinking, what, what is, what is everyone going wild for? I, I couldn't imagine anyone giving a shit about what I thought <laughs> in writing 140 characters or 80 characters back. You know, I think it was 80 characters at the time. And I just remember thinking like, why would I just talk to myself through the, yeah. you know, and then I, I think 
it's easy. It's easy to put a like I learned this when I was building websites. It's easy to put everything you can think of in a website, but then it becomes this big, hard to maintain thing. And the real beauty about certain things is uh, when you can actually minimize them into their um, simplest parts, and you can explain something succinctly in a short amount of space. And uh, just kind of watching Russ on Twitter, he's able to do that. So this is a guy who used to write 500, you know, 2,000 um, word articles in Slam who can now convey most of the information that he wants to convey in just a short 140 character tweet. So That's I impressive. really like seeing his tweets. And again, I might have had some of his history wrong. Um, I know that he worked with my buddy Nick, Nick Engvall, uh, for a while. Um, I want to say it's Soul Collector. I'm, I'm not positive, but I know that they work together and uh, we we probably have a few people in common, but he's he actually kind of made it like what probably would have been my dream in college was he was able to go to all these NBA events and all these sneaker events in the early 2000s, you know, mid 2000s. And, and now I get that he uh, lives in Long Island with his folks and he's just like slowly making his way through his storage unit full of sneakers and letting go of pairs that, you know, he just doesn't wear. I mean, a lot of them mean a lot. To, to, to him and you know his history I think yeah. but he's also just been giving a ton away and he's been selling them for super cheap on his Instagram stories and like last summer I think he, he would drive to different parts of Long Island and just leave pairs of shoes in the park and then uh, take a picture of them and then people would go out on a scavenger hunt looking for the, the shoes that he dropped off but you know he he's not he doesn't go around doing like the whole hype thing uh, right he just he was just a part of a lot of big releases and a lot of a lot of significant sneaker moments in the uh you know in the before now so uh but his tweet again when i see one of his tweets that kind of touches a bit of a nerve i like to post it just because i think he gets people talking and he's able to again he's able to convey all this information in, in a small amount of space and i just i thought it was an interesting one so uh better investment stocks or streetwear when i worked on wall street man i was an analyst and I studied all of these stocks. I studied all these markets. I studied uh, foreign exchange and commodities and energy and equities. And um, and I put, there was one time I was feeling kind of, I was feeling like, oh, I, I need to put this, this information to use. So I walked down the street um, to TD Ameritrade uh, with a $10,000 check and I opened up an account and I just thought, oh, if anyone can make a lot of money in stocks, it should be a, a stock analyst. Right. That makes sense. So again, my $10,000 <laughs> and I bought a bunch of stocks and, I, you know, I traded stocks for, for basically a year. And at the end of a year, I had exactly $10,000 in my account. Bingo. And I just thought that was the biggest fucking waste of time and money. <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that um, I lost money, but it was extremely stressful. And at the end of it, I, I didn't gain anything other than the knowledge that I believe the stock markets are rigged. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, at least when I did that, I, I was able to walk away and say, okay, I know that I never want to mess with this stuff again. But I was, I was quite disappointed in myself and quite disappointed in uh, what I thought was the pinnacle of American exceptionalism right the sure. stock market 
And reading through some of the comments, you know, that, that Russ left, and I think, like, if I hadn't worked on Wall Street, I would probably have a similar outlook that he has on it. But in my opinion, in probably the last 40 or 50 years, the stock market does not actually adequately reflect fundamentals. Okay. So I think at one point or another, uh, you know, Coca-Cola was this great investment because it was doing well. And um, I don't know, General Electric maybe was doing real well and GM, General Motors. They were all doing well because their companies were doing well. So the stock price would do well. But that's that's not how the stock market actually in reality nowadays works. Stock market, in my opinion, it's all just legalized gambling. So uh, like GME. I agree. <laughs> or what is it? Is it GME? GameStop? Yes, GME. GameStop. And AMC and people have become, you know, virtual millionaires overnight on these stocks. And it has nothing to do with the company itself. It just has nope. to do with playing a game. And that's fine. I'm happy. I'm happy that people learned how to fuck hedge fund traders out of some money. But all of that to say, uh, I don't think stocks are a great investment. I think that stocks are a good, uh, they're a good way to gamble legally and make it seem like you're really smart. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a great way to put it. And that that's perfect time to bring up this comment that I have here from 616 sneakers, um, you know, posing the question, what's a better investment? He says it depends on a few things, mainly what your investment horizon is. And if you know anything about the sneaker resale market, he goes on to posit that a short term two year or less investment with the understanding of sneaker resale is definitely a choice over stocks any day. But if you're going 20, 30 years, he, he says paper asset, you know, what's your what's your response to that? Well, that's, it's funny. I mean, like that's a, that is a very succinct answer, but I would also say for the most part, most people's investment term is going to be a little bit more than two years and a little bit less than 20 or 30 years. Mm. Right. So obviously a 20, 30 years is definitely a paper asset because uh, sneakers fall apart at a much faster rate than you know, <laughs> paper or anything else, because all at the end of the day, they're mostly just rubber and glue or plastic and leather and glue. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the question. What do you define as an investment? Now, if you talk to a sneaker investor, I know the sneaker investor, he, he flips 18 months. He does mostly 18 month flips on most of his stuff. Um, he buys it and then he holds it for 18 months and they flips it on uh, StockX. Um, me, on the other hand, like today I went and I found a whole bunch of dope stuff at this new, I found this new store in my new neighborhood. Um, oh, cool. I found a whole bunch of dope shoes that I plan on flipping here in the next you know week on, on whatnot. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not, I don't like, I've, I've learned to not like to just hold on to sneakers anymore. I'm um, trying. <laughs> and that's just because I've watched so many of them just crumble into dust. And I, I, to me, like, what, what's valuable about that? Right? Like, okay, historical significance. Like that, that, that pair, I always talk about this pair of the, well, it's not even a pair. It's one shoe. The Nike Air Mag from the actual movie that yeah. comes with a box of dust. You know, like... I, I get that it, you know, if you have a museum, that's a cool piece. But if you're like a regular human being, like, what the fuck are you gonna do with that? You know, so think you could do is sell it, right? Yeah. So, uh, stocks. I don't think stocks are great. Uh, I don't think they're a great investment. Sneakers. I don't. I also don't think they're a great investment. I mean, like, I prefer to mess with sneakers because I like sneakers, and they also have utility value and. I think it, it, it makes me kind of, you know, part of a community of people who recognize the the um, brand association and the, the collectors collectability association. 
but stocks and equities and financial markets are so boring to me and and just <laughs> knowing that they're rigged or feeling like they're rigged makes them not interesting to me in the least yeah dude i i feel you there and we've got a we've got another comment from a uh, fit jrt here and he's saying that he's kind of you know on your side he says i disagree and i have a i have a finance background good for you homie um what stock can you consistently buy for 150 dollars and then sell the next day for 400 bucks and you know that's a really good point i mean i don't personally know of any but any jordan will probably do that well i mean but that's the thing like who can get their hands on these things at this point right? so, <laughs> i mean most people who are getting their hands on them are I mean, to, to take the analogy one step further, uh, the only people who I knew who actually made money on stocks were people who, who had insiders. Yeah. Right. So they knew people who worked at the companies or they knew people who knew that something was going to pump and that's how they made a lot of money. And it's, it's unfortunate, but you know, that's, that's highly illegal. They call it insider, insider trade. And now if you look at the same stuff that's going on with sneakers, I mean, you could, you could argue it's the same stuff. This is insider trading every once in a while. Somebody gets lucky and gets that, you know, catches that Gotham screen on sneakers and they get a, a really uh, in-demand pair. And, it, and then they're not even faced with uh, the original purpose of the pair. They're faced with the idea of should I uh, sell this pair and then buy a couple more pairs that I want to buy? I, I don't even think the question of wearing a lot of these shoes even comes up anymore. I don't think so either. They're just looking at them as investments. So, I mean... The, what stock can you consistently buy for 150 and sell it the next day for 400 plus? I would ask the same question. What sneaker can you consistently buy for $150 and then sell it the next day for 400 plus? I, I don't know anyone who can do that anymore. You can stop that sentence at what sneaker can you consistently buy for $150? You don't even need to like go yeah. on to sell it. You can't get them in the first place. Yeah. So, I mean, again, this this it's just a very interesting it's a very interesting topic of conversation and I love how uh, heated um, people get on both sides of it. Um, yeah, me too. The thing about Russ, like I'm always a little bit, again, I'm always a little bit hesitant to uh, post a Russ quote just because I don't want him to think that I'm trying to be disrespectful. It's, it's all uh, respectful. And I, I, I have just a t great deal of admiration for us. Um, and I, what I liked about this one was that even though people were kind of going at him a little bit in the comments, he was he was just talking like regular, like uh, he was not getting, you know, rude to anybody. He was not, you know, he was just talking like, OK, well, yeah, maybe, works, maybe that works. And I thought that that was dope because so many times, you know, I think people get immediately defensive and they start uh, just kind of lashing out and. I mean, like, I'm glad that he recognized that I was not trying to be disrespectful at all. And I was, I thought it was just a great topic to talk about. So agreed. I don't have an answer for that. What is a better investment stocks or street stocks or streetwear stocks or uh, sneakers? I mean, like, obviously I'm much more interested in sneakers, so I'd much rather mess with sneakers than I would stocks. But at this point, I don't know how much I even want to mess with sneakers anymore. And I'm kind of moving more into the digital collectibles. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to, for, um, for anybody who's been following us and, you know, keeping up with the sneakers of and the shoof nonsense, um, we are restructuring this podcast a little bit. We're going from solely sneaker discussions to, you know, say 50% sneakers and 50% digital collectibles and the future of art. So that's going to be super fun. So we'll get to that a little later. But as for right now, let's talk about 39,000 seized counterfeits of Gucci and Nike products. <laughs> 
like I just gotta laugh at this. Just like who cares? First of all, well, it's such a. I don't know. You you always have to kind of wonder. I mean, with crypto, the one thing that it really got me to do was question um, media mm. and the reason that certain things get posted and the reason that certain things don't. And you know, ever since um, I started questioning it, I notice you know why other people question it and people in different um, circles question it. You know, obviously you got the anti-vaxxers who question it for a different reason, and then you got uh, I don't know celebrity fans who, who uh, question it for a different reason. And at, at the end of the day, I mean, it's all just who's really, what is their, their purpose in, in posting this kind of information? So when I see this one, I saw this one on Google News, uh, 39,000 seized counterfeits of Gucci, Nike products. And if you look through, there's a few more brands in there. And then as you're reading through, it says that it's valued at, if real, was valued at $57.1 million. <laughs> and to me, it was like... <laughs> I, all I could think of was that because, I mean, when I was on Wall Street being an analyst, I would sit there and I would look at spreadsheets with 68,000 lines on it, um, and I would try to make sense of data, right? So I could just think of this FBI agent who uh, created a list of 39,000 different items that they found in there and him <laughs> pricing each and every one out to give you an average of $1,396.27 or whatever it is. I'm just thinking like... What what what's the purpose in pointing that out? What did that what does that accomplish exactly through the media? Right? Did, wh why did they publish that? That's Shock really value. That's all I can think of. It's just like, <gasps> fifty-seven million dollars. But who? I mean, and even like somebody said something interesting in the comments. He was like, you know, maybe that's so that they can uh, levy the the fine on the the importer, the exporter, who who actually, you know tried to send this or tried to import it and saying $57 million uh, is what they should be penalized at or mm. something to that effect. And I thought, okay, that's a probably, that's probably a pretty good reason for it, but I, I don't get why you would have to publish it. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. That's a lot of freaking money, dude. I mean, yeah. I, you said what? 1300 on average, like per piece. Yeah. 1400. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like for some of those products, okay, like if you're talking about like a Gucci handbag, yeah, okay, fourteen hundred bucks, that's realistic. But uh, ain't no Nike products be fourteen hundred bucks. Well, obviously, yeah, uh, retail, nothing Nike is fourteen hundred. Oh, they said value, didn't they? They said like street value, and to me, like, <laughs> do you remember that show? Uh, I said this in the comments too. I think that show, uh, Storage Wars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So these guys, they, they do storage wars. And then basically what would happen if you've never seen the show, there's like five groups of people who go and they look for storage units that are abandoned. And then uh, they bid on them against each other. And then whoever gets it, they kind of price them out to show how much money they actually pulled out of this unit and what it's worth. And then at the end of the episode, I guess the person who got the most profit on these units would, would be considered the winner or whatever. And I remember watching this and just watching – uh, guys get storage units and they're full of like CDs, right? Like CD, you can't give CDs away right now at this point, right? right. I mean, it's, it's very hard to get rid of CDs. And these guys will get stacks and stacks and boxes and boxes of, of CDs, compact discs. And whoever's tallying the numbers at the bottom of the screen would say, uh, these CDs are worth $5 each. And sure, maybe in, in 2005, maybe they were worth $5 each. But Ain't no way in hell those are worth $5 a piece now. And so they would just keep on adding these imaginary figures up, 
you know, to, 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 to kind of puff up the idea that uh, people can just make a ton of money flipping storage units. And now at the end of the day, I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's, these guys just have an unlimited amount of shit that they've bought. And then they put in a storage unit and try to sell it for these exorbitant prices. And do they really ever get there? You know, the number that, that uh, AMC or whoever would show that they got it, in my opinion, absolutely not. Yeah. I'm going to say no on that one too. And so thinking about this, this, this FBI guy or whoever the hell this guy is, department of Homeland security, who's sitting there at a uh, spreadsheet, just putting in numbers. Right? It's the same, same, idea in my opinion oh that looks kind of like the jordan one off white let's go five thousand dollars that one looks kind of <laughs> like this other you know it could be just like a, a jordan you know mid oh that one looks like the off white let's say five thousand dollars you know oh, so he's just up on goat just like oh that oh that one's really expensive do we have any ones that look like this yo go look at those do they look like that one <laughs> exactly you know <laughs> that this guy was not a sneakerhead and you know he was he was just blanketing shit that you saw in there to come up to that exorbitant figure of 57 million 57 million fucking dollars i don't i don't think so and what troll say what troll say uh so troll again uh he says why do they always vilify the forgers but never track down whoever is ordering these goods shipments of this size are certainly going to independent resale or consignment mom and pop shops or flea markets yet how often have we heard them uh heard of them raiding shops that sell these products Surely it's not hard to see where the shipment was headed. I, I don't know what he means by that last statement, but there's definitely been cases of uh, consignment shops and sneaker shops in California um, that I've heard of in, in LA and Beverly Hills of guys who just uh, import fake sneakers and sell them as real. Mm -hmm. I know so, a couple people like that. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a few years ago, a Corgi, Corgi shoe, um, made a huge deal about JC getting a huge shipment of Space Jam uh, 11s a couple months before they were set to release and he kept okay. on. I don't know if he ever directly stated um, that Jay's buying fakes, uh, but he was definitely implying that he was buying fakes because of the size of the shipment that, that Jay had, had shown of uh, Jordan 11 Space Jams months before the, the release. So, right. I mean, yeah, dude, there's got to be big money in this stuff. And especially with the, I mean, on a regular basis, I say I do 800 shoes a month for legit checks. And I would say one out of every four is um, like certifiably fake. Another one, or I'd say two out of every four is like, they wouldn't even bother making fake city shoes. So I would say like a 50% rate of hype shoes that I'm seeing I believe to be fake. So that tells you, I mean, what, what exactly does that tell you? I mean, to me, it tells me that one out of every two shoes on the street uh, that you see that are hyped are probably not authentic Nike products. The data says so. Yeah. And, and those guys like it, like <laughs> I saw a, a leaked spreadsheet um, from a Nike employee a long time ago about uh how many pairs of, of um, Jordan one, I want to say it was turbo greens were actually mm -hmm. produced versus how many have actually sold on stock X in. A I remember this. Period. It was like 20,000 pairs for North America in 60 something thousand pairs exchanged on stock X. 
And now that's just StockX. That's just one marketplace. That doesn't include eBay, which probably still, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe eBay does as much or more than StockX at this point. I don't, I don't know. Um, and Goat and all the other little marketplaces and consignment shops and mom and pops. And you've got to assume, I mean, like with those kind of numbers, it, it sounds like one out of two might even be wrong. Right? It might even be closer, like one out of three or four pairs we see on the street are actually real. These these big shipments, dude. These are not. I don't think that these are. Uh, I don't think that these are rare. I don't think these busts are necessarily rare. But it's 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 definitely interesting to wonder where these are going. I mean, I, I used to go to the flea market in Oakland uh, every other Sunday with my son, and uh, there would be dudes selling, you know, hundreds of pairs of fake off-whites or Yeezys or whatever the latest shoe was. And I mean, you could, you could smell them. You could actually smell the glue from like a mile away. Like it's obviously <laughs> fake, but yeah. Who's, who's, who's actually taking ownership of most of this stuff? Dude, I, I couldn't even tell you. Like if I, if I had to, if I had to just like guess, yeah, it's, it's, if you're ordering uh, something that large, it has to be somebody that does volume. And if you're doing volume, you're probably some form of, as, as Trollmageddon said, independent resale or consignment. It's, it's gotta be going there or all of the street vendors that like vend in, in, in LA and New York and all them, they have a union and they all just do their orders together. It's like a Grubhub group order. <laughs> so, so a spreadsheet spreadsheet at the end of the day. Yes, sir. They all just read the order. Yeah, they, they just import it. So it's a it's a whole thing. That's a yeah. I'd be curious to to you know to hear him sound off on it. Um, because number one, I would never just me personally. I'm not the kind of guy to like call anybody out for this whole thing. Um, and I I wouldn't even claim to to know. I mean, I've been burnt on fakes before. I'm, who am I to say that somebody else is getting fakes and but uh, there was a dude I met on Wall Street. Um, I worked with him for a couple months. His name was uh, Tony. He was from China. And one day he kind of saw me messing around, you know, on my computer with some of the sneaker stuff. And I explained the whole market to him. Um, he was just a contractor. And uh, when I explained the whole market to him, uh, he, he had actually recently moved from China. So he knew a lot of people there. And he was like, I know what I'm going to do next. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, I'm going to import a whole bunch of these fakes and I'm going to sell them as real. And he didn't even, like, it wasn't even like a question. It was just a, let me make some money thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he did that. I mean, I quit soon after. I didn't work there much longer. But I mean, like, the opportunity and the quote unquote care for the culture, it, it's not, it doesn't have to be there for people to make money off of it. You know? Right. So, I mean, I'm sure there's all kinds of people dealing with this stuff. I mean, have you? You're in New York. Have you ever been to a bootleg warehouse? No, but I would love to. Dude, my this one time uh, I used to go. So when I first moved to New York, I met this dude named Dan. Uh, Dan, uh, he he passed away a couple of years ago, but on he still has an Instagram account out there. Dan Posit, it's called. Um, Dan had introduced me to guys like Puneet, and um, we used to we used to go around uh, the streets of of New York and the lower. Lower East Side, uh, and just look for sneakers on the weekends. And one day in the middle of winter, Dan hit me up and he told me, "Hey, let's meet up at uh, 34th Street today. I want to show you something." I said, "Okay, whatever." So we go up there, 34th Street. Um, 
we start walking down Broadway. And if you know anything about 34th and Broadway, it's basically the, the fashion district or the textile district. Um, all these shops selling kind of like wholesale materials, uh, wholesale uh, swatches and, and buttons and zippers. And anyway, it's, it's an interesting place to be to begin with. But we start walking down. We get to 28th Street, I think. We turn left right off Broadway. And uh, we get to this tiny, tiny, tiny hole in the wall door and there are tons of people just kind of going in and out and there's a couple people outside just watching and uh he says this is it i said what is it he said let's go uh so we we, we go through the door it's a super 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 uh crammed stairway uh like and i'm talking there's like hundreds of people this feels like uh, a school when when the bell goes off being in high mm-hmm. school and the bell goes off and everyone's just rushing to get to class. And I'm starting to freak out a little bit cause I'm a little bit claustrophobic, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's winter and everyone's got their, their jackets on and it's super puffy. It's a little bit cold, but it's also feels like, like uh, the air is thick. It's a little bit tense. Anyway, after four or five floors, we get to the top. It's like a full on indoor flea market of, uh, just bootleg goods like Gucci bags here. Uh, Hermes wallets here and uh, scarves here and shoes here. And I mean, like this looked like uh, one of the markets that I've been to in uh, Hong Kong or uh, Shenzhen, just an open air bootleg market. And there are thousands of people packed in there just like pushing past each other to get to things. And I mean, I had to take a minute because it was like freaking me out. I had to like dip into somebody's stall and just sit there for like a minute to catch my breath. But I was just thinking like, yo, if there was a fire in here, every single person would die. I mean, that was the thought <laughs> that I took away from it. I mean, we didn't buy anything, but just like walking around there and seeing the scope of like a real live bootleg market in New York City was, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it before. Never seen anything like it since in New York City. Like I've seen it in Indonesia, you know, Jakarta, whatever. I've seen it in, in places like that, but in, in outdoor markets, but I'd never seen it in New York City. I guess all of that to say like, dude, where this stuff goes, I, I don't know, but it there's absolutely a marketplace for it. Yo, I have a very similar story on a much smaller scale. Um, years and years back, I was invited to a, a friend of a friend's wedding. My friend says to me, she says, well, there's a dress code, obviously, because it's a wedding, but there's like more of a dress code. You have to wear a pair of Nikes. Like you have to wear a certain pair of Nikes. They have like an approved fucking shoe list. And I was like, uh, this is way before I was into sneakers. So I was just kind of like, that's fucked, but all right. So she's like, we're going to go get, we're going to go get the sneakers for this. I know a guy. I was like, okay, cool. So we get in her car and we drive for like a fucking hour. And then we stop at this random, like dilapidated shop. And you go in the, you go in the front door and it was just, it was shitty. There was like nothing in there. It was like a few few t-shirts and a couple pairs of shoes. And she goes, wait a minute and she goes in this back door and talks to this dude for a second she goes come on and we walk through like five different rooms all full of different random shit and then there's just a a tiny claustrophobic room full to the brim with fake ass nikes yeah and he goes they're 30 dollars a pair or two for 60 i was like that's the same (laughs) but okay (laughs) he's like you gotta buy at least five I was like, wait, no. so they're two for 60, but I got to buy five. We walked out of there with five pairs of shoes. <laughs> Were they terrible fakes? Oh, 
Yeah. Yeah. They like looking back now and trying to remember like as well as I can, um, as far as the quality went. Yeah. Those were, those were jank. You would definitely call them straight up fugazi. It's funny when they start taking you through door and door and door after door and you'd never, I was getting sketched. Yeah. There was, there used to be this place in downtown New York. Uh, it was called Mike's pizza. Um, and it was like the after hour spot and, uh, legally, in the front it was a deli and pizza counter and as soon as you walk past the front there was like a a black door past the counter and right when you walked in there it was a strip club nice and it it was like it was just this kind of running joke on on wall street about going to mike's pizza after i mean you know i went in there a few times when i was pretty drunk but it was it was just that it's so funny that the things people you know the the ingenuity people come up to come up with when they're when they're breaking the law (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean we we we've been talking about bootleggers this whole time where think that fucking word came from with prohibition and mm-hmm. trying to make some whiskey in your bathtub like yeah. <laughs> all right guys good job i'm proud yeah the historical significance is not it's often lost on uh, people who just look at this in terms of um sneakers but yeah that's a, a interesting point definitely so let's uh let's forge forward here um i want to touch just a little bit on those uh, reverse land Nike SB, like the contest that they did and yeah. everybody freaking the fuck out over the price tag. Yeah. Um, so I'm not, honestly, like I stopped paying attention to most dunk SB stuff at this point. Like to yeah. me, it, it's tired and I got all these SB dunks that I, I bought before the, the hype storm came. And I just, I mean, I kind of realized during the hype storm that I don't even like wearing dunk SBs. Like I just, they're not comfortable to me. Like at all. I mean, even for skating, I mean, maybe, maybe they're okay, but I prefer wearing my Jordan ones for skating, you know? Sure. So, um, I, I don't, I honestly, I saw this contest and I thought, Oh, whatever. It's another contest. It's another one of those. Uh, we're going to, we're going to hand make this pair. And there was a dude who was doing handmade pairs at the beginning of the pandemic. His name was air 32, I believe. And he had this really cool looking pair. Um, but I, I'm not trying to hate here and I'm not trying to sound like a hater and I know I'm going to come off like a hater, but the dunk SB thing and the custom dunk SB thing, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't interest me anymore. So uh, somebody had hit me up and was like, yo, what do you think about this? This, you know, we all like this. And then they hit us with this price of $899. And to be honest, like I'm, I'm just not that familiar with what it was, but once I read up on it, I just saw that uh, this dude had um, submitted something on Nike SB or nothing uh, as a design contest. He got the most amount of likes, so they said that they're going to forge ahead and make that sneaker as a custom Nike that is not affiliated with Nike or Nike SB. <laughs> and to me, like, what is that? I mean, I get what it means, sure, but what does it mean? How do you say that here's a Nike shoe not affiliated with Nike? What the, it, it, bud? <laughs> it's so it's it's. I mean, and I understand why they do that, and I understand why they have to say that. But I, mm. I <laughs> one thing I've been like noticeably absent from Instagram over the past couple of weeks, and a big part of it is because of uh, all these lawsuits I see coming through, right? And and. It reminds me of when I, I used to be a, a web developer. I used to work for this company, and we used to build um, we used to build websites on top of other websites. So basically, like if YouTube had an API or they had a, a function, we would build something on top of YouTube to add some functionality to the YouTube platform. 
and we would put all our effort into it. We'd have a hundred developers and we'd all do this. We'd all work on this fucking thing to make YouTube a little bit more user-friendly. And then as soon as we're done, we're all congratulating ourselves, giving ourselves high five. YouTube goes and says, well, sorry guys, we're changing this. And they changed their website. So our website just is just irrelevant or useless at that point. And what it kind of got me to realize was like, okay, if I'm going to be building software, I am not going to rely on anybody else's platform but my own, right, in order to, to, to figure this out. And with sneakers, I, I've, I've only just kind of started doing this or thinking about it in this way. Like I can no longer um, – I cannot think that I can make a career off of making uh, – writing commentary about sneakers that I don't have any control over. I cannot think about uh, creating cards about sneakers that I don't own any design rights to. I cannot put all my eggs in the Nike basket, especially uh, like these guys have been doing by customizing Nikes and getting sued by Nike now, right? And it, mm. I mean, maybe it's a, I mean, to me, I think it's a shitty thing by Nike, but I also think like, I mean, maybe I understand it. I don't know. I, I can understand both sides of it, but like, I think, I think Nike should be a bit more lenient with it, especially since I think it brings more people in. But I mean, what do I know? I'm not a multinational corporation, biggest, <laughs> biggest uh, clothing company in the world. So Got a decent point there. Yeah. So I, I mean, when I when I see these guys doing these customs, I always just think like, this would be really dope if it was your custom. You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. Like I love the guys who are doing their own shit. Like. All the bootlegs, the bootleg renaissance last year with 90 plus different people doing, you know, similar Nike dunks or, or Jordan ones or Air Force ones, just the slightly different swoosh or penis swoosh or whatever. But like, there's also <laughs> guys who are like trying to do their own thing off of it. And I think that that's great. I think I, I, I like that, you know, but when it comes down to it, then, then you get the $899 price tag. And to me, it would be. Like if my if my best friend designed that, I'd think that was dope. I'd probably buy it at that point. You know yeah. what I mean? But I, I just I don't know. And I think that that, that comment that somebody was saying or, or, or what the they were saying that um, when there was some blowback on the eight hundred ninety nine dollar price tag, they they said that they they're sourcing parts from actual Nike SBs, and even at the end of the day, the people who are working on it are not even going to get paid. Oh, I saw that. I just, I can't, I can't fucking believe that. First of all, because they they tell you, you know, ex essentially what their budget was for the base shoe, and it's only the sole that's getting used. Then they're yeah. like, "Well, it's what, two hundred bucks." As long as it's a white and gum sole, I don't think it matters what SB it comes off of. But I, I mean, okay. So, so then if we think white and gum sole, they're. I don't even know if they released any white and gum sole SBs this year. How are they going to source a hundred pairs of dead stock white and gum sole Nike SBs? Like, like my dude John Manolo, he's John Andrew zero zero on Instagram. Um, I, I've been to his shop before, and his shop used to be this little shop in his um, backyard. He used to do all these sole swaps, and I remember uh, the the way he got soles was he went to the Nike outlet and he just bought a whole shitload of 
dub zeros and ripped them apart. So we had garbage bags full of dub zero uppers with yeah. Jordan, uh, Jordan three, Jordan four, three, uh, three or four, Jordan four. I thought they were Jordan four uh, donors, right? And then when we started messing around trying to go viral, uh, companies would send him fake Yeezys that he could cut up and practice on. Okay. And now I'm not making any claims saying that anyone's doing fake things, but like, I mean, it's literally a piece of rubber. It's a single piece of rubber. Now to think that um, you're going to be able to find 100, 200, I, I don't know how many pairs they're trying to produce, but to find dead stock, white and gum, dunk SB soles that are authentic, I, I'm very curious as to uh, where they're coming from. Yeah, me too, man. Especially like saying that they're trying to keep the, the price point for finding them under $200. Yeah, there, there aren't many SBs that you can get at this point that are under $200. Brand new. I, I don't know if there's any. I mean, are there any? I, I get lucky here and there, like with people that don't know what they're holding on to because they don't give a fuck about sneakers. So, you know, I found a, just like two, literally two pairs of, of dead stock fucking dunks for under $200 and they were 100 bucks each. In their dead side, you said? Yeah, well, they were until I wore them. Right. Okay. So, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's possible. Maybe they have a, a I mean, I'm sure Nike SB or nothing, they got a couple hundred thousand followers. I'm sure there's people out there who they can source those from. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very possible. But to me, like, the easy move, I mean, I posted that picture of the, all those Volt soles. Remember the off-white Volt soles? Oh, you know I remember the big old trash bag full of soles. Yeah. Like, how hard would it be to just get boxes and boxes of, of pieces of rubber from China? Uh, Dude, we could probably just hit up any one of our, our Chinese friends that we know over there and just be like, yo, you got the plug on just the souls, mail me a box. Yeah. So, uh, again, I'm not making any claims whatsoever. I don't want to disrespect anyone who's putting the, the hard work in. I just, to me, like logically, I don't, I do have trouble getting from point A to point C on that. Yeah, that one doesn't check out for me. There's definitely a hiccup there. You're not. You're not going to source, you know, it's it's the, spe the specificness of the sole itself. It's got to be this size in a white and gum just for this shoe and boop-a-doop-a-doop. -doop. You know, just, just buy some rep soles, man. Make some shoes. You're not affiliated with Nike anyway. Why do you care if your sole is real? That's less than 20% of the shoe, my dude. It can't, doesn't make it a real shoe. Well, and I, I wonder if it would detract buyers if they knew, like how much would it detract buyers if they knew that they were just buying soles wholesale? A lot. Would it? People are ridiculous about that. I had a quote unquote argument with this dude a while back. He he's a glass blower turned shoemaker. He goes by hoobs. He's a really nice guy and he's very talented. I don't want I'm not shit talking him, but he kept trying to argue that it's just like selling an aftermarket car that you've you know, you bought a car and you put a bunch of parts into it and you change the paint and then you sell it as your own. He just, he's like, it's the soul that makes it okay. That's why I can't be sued and dupe a dupe a dupe. I'm like, hey, buddy, no matter how you want to spin this, even with an authentic soul, you have recreated and monetized Nike's branding. Right. They, they, I mean, they could theoretically get out, get away with uh, its art, but I think that art yeah. works on one of one basis. It doesn't work. Yes. On yeah. You can't be making production runs of, of that. So then, but then let's make the assumption that they are real. Let's say that they did come from actual Nike SB dunks, uh, and people have to then separate the sole from the upper, right? So they have to do that hot water thing probably, and then they have to rip out the stitching, and then they're able to get them out. 
at that point, is that worth $899? I guess so. Because people are going to pay it. It's a lot of work. I mean, well, I mean, I, I didn't see many people in the comments, who, in my comments at least, who said that they were interested in paying that. Um, but it also brings up that good point of, of Nike and the bespoke Air Max ones, right? I mean, that, I think their bespoke program is, is dope. It's second none because you could bring in any material, any color, any, you know, theory you have in mind. I mean, people love that stuff in the Air Max One um, communities on, on Facebook, Air Max One mm. groups. Um, and they charge anywhere from, you know, 900 to, I think, $1,300 to create a, a custom bespoke pair. But, I mean, I again, I'm not hating, but, like, I, I would much rather have a pair directly from, from Nike than a custom Nike, non-Nike. Right, right. Because why, why am I paying this? ridiculous premium when you're recreating a product that that isn't yours to recreate yeah and that's why i mean like and that's kind of where i i fell with my cards was that like it it, it wouldn't be a big deal because i'm not in the business that they're in business they're in the business right. of creating shoes i'm in the business of creating paper goods <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah but like if, if i'm stepping on their toes in some way then 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 i think it's 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 just a weird it's a hard it's a hard train to follow for me. Like I, I don't totally understand it, and I'm glad that I'm not very interested in it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just because I, I, I think I, I wrestle with too many questions on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Well, my man, it's good that you bring up your uh, sneaker cards there because I did want to touch on your your first live on whatnot the other night. Um, you went there selling selling off some packs of the newest Air Max packs release uh, with this dude, Rainer, who seemed like a pretty decent host. And you guys were opening packs, at, selling and opening packs live on whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, how did that go? What did you think, man? It, it was interesting. Uh, my first day as a teacher, uh, I remember what happened. Um, I got up there. I was so nervous. I got up there the very first class I taught, the very first you know, uh, time I got up in front of a class. And... Um, I stumbled for the first five seconds and then I just went right into it. So after those first five seconds of me just kind of stumbling around with my words and everyone just being silent and just watching me and my face getting red and kind of freaking out, I just, I just, I just dove right in and it just worked. And I've been real nervous about this whatnot thing. Um, just because I don't like really putting myself out there in that way. Like I don't consider myself like a, a sneaker salesman, although that's kind of what I'm doing. You know, and I don't consider myself. That's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. Sneaker salesman, a sneaker card salesman, you know, sneaker yes, I don't consider myself a salesman. I consider myself more of a uh, a, a uh, product developer, right? Because I'm mm. developing products, but I don't have anyone to sell them. So I have to kind of put my own effort into selling them. Um, when this guy hit me up, I was actually really excited. Uh, he's the third person to hit me up from whatnot um, and, you know, reach out to me. And th they reached out to me because they wanted me to sell sneakers on their platform um, or at least give it a shot so that they could collect some data. Uh, and um, I didn't know that they were like actively looking for someone like me. I, he was asking me who, who they should hit up. And I said, you know, the best salesman in the world when it comes to sneakers is really JC. And even though we have our disagreements, I, I'm not, you know, too much of an idiot to say that he's not the greatest sneaker salesman <laughs> the world has ever known at this point. And he was like, yeah, but we want someone a little bit more not polished. <laughs> and, I was like, yeah. and then we had, we ended up like saying he ended up kind of saying would you want to do it and um i thought 
do I want to go live, you know, and put myself out there like that? And that, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm kind of scared about it. I'm kind of nervous about it, but I also think it would just be a cool way to, to just talk to people. I mean, I never done an Instagram live. Actually, I did a, a, I was a guest on a couple of people's Instagram live, but I've never done it myself. Um, but I've spent some time on the app now and I think it's pretty cool. I really liked, uh, Rainer did this, he did an Air Max packs opening and we basically went through each and every single card in the box uh, while people were buying packs and talked about each and every single shoe in there. And I, you know, I pulled out some examples and I showed examples that I have, you know, sitting here in my, my office with sneakers that I wear and what I found interesting. And uh, I really felt like um, a sneaker teacher, right? Like, yes, yeah. I, I was able to just kind of sit up there and just do, you know, my thing. And I didn't have to show my face. Uh, not that it, that was like a terrible thing, but um, it, I was very curious how it would go. And I'm pretty happy with how it went. I mean, we, we didn't make a million dollars selling uh, sneaker trading cards, but um, I, I think at least people could understand uh, the, the passion and the interest and the love and the, the education behind it. Um, so I'm going to be doing that uh, in about a week. I'm going to go into whatnot and I'm going to start selling some sneakers and probably pairing some with some um, sneaker cards. So uh, what did you think of it? I know you watched it. I know there was a few of my friends who watched it. Um, one of my friends said that I was I was a little bit too uh, negative on some of the aspects of the cards. And he's right. But if you knew what I went through to get this last batch of cards made, uh, <laughs> it, it's, I mean, like I went through plenty sleep, sleepless nights getting this card set out. And they didn't come out as I had hoped exactly. Right. And I still got quite late, too. They came out way too late. Yeah. Yeah, so, that is what it is. But as far as my opinion on like the whatnot show itself, I was able to uh, pop in intermittently because my phone's kind of a piece of shit. I still got an iPhone six, and it gets really, really hot when I watch too many videos. So six. wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, I got a six S plus, and and I don't intend to get any newer ones. And I'll tell you why because there's no fucking headphone jack. Uh, well, I'll take my fucking headphone jack. You don't need a jack. Just get some wireless headphones, bro. Oh, I need a jack because I have old speakers and they don't they don't do that. You can switch it out. You know that there's the adapter. They come they come they come with the adapter. Yeah, they got that little the lightning to to anyway, anyway. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> um I, I liked the show a lot. I, I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed uh listening to you two kind of shooting the shit and him having some fairly decent questions for you. Um, yeah. you know, my only thing was just like it's it's so hard to fill the space. When you're on a live, you know, you you kind of just want to keep everything rolling and, and keep saying shit. And and sometimes I know that I, I just find myself trailing off and, mm-hmm. and going a little far from from where we were. But no, I really don't have anything and anything negative to bring up about that about that stream. You seemed like you were having fun. You seemed like you liked uh, like discussing with the people and 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 showing them, you know the heart of the the heart of the cards and where all that stuff actually came from that everybody that was there it was a it was a small group of like seven to eleven people but um everybody that was there was interactive and interested and and paying attention and i think that's what's important no it was it was great too because just reading that like people would ask super random questions and i would kind of talk about them for a few minutes and then i would get uh, they would they would leave a comment after that oh that's awesome i didn't know about that that's great you know and it, it was just really I don't know. I guess 
you kind of miss that when you're just doing one-way communication. Like a lot of, um, like a podcast is, is mostly a one-way communication, right? And writing something is mostly a one-way communication. And Instagram is mostly a one-way communication because I, I have to come up with the idea and then I have to push it out there and then hope that you receive it um, in whatever, you know, mentality you're in. Uh, whereas this was more like, oh, that's what you want to hear about. Let's go, let's go down that rabbit hole for a minute. You know, yeah. that, that was really cool to to just kind of um, to 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 see people's response, right? Like like I, there was one point during the stream when I was talking about uh, Air Max power power wall. I kept saying power wall, and then somebody in the comments was like, "Yo, it's power all," and I've been saying power wall for the better part of twenty years when these things came out. And it's yeah. because I heard it's power wall. And so I posted yesterday on my Instagram. I said, did you know it as power wall or power all? And everybody in the comments said power wall as well. But the guy who said power all, I know that he, he knows what he's talking about. So me and him actually, we went back and we did a whole bunch of research and we found that it's actually both. So both names actually work. No shit. But it was interesting. Cause I was like, I mean, the thing about like being a teacher is if you're just going to go up there and pretend, you know, everything, you know, and you, you get in arguments about people about certain information, like you just end up looking like an idiot, even if you're right. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think taking it like nobody can know all this stuff. I mean, a lot of people know a lot of stuff. I'm a person who happens to know a lot about sneakers, but I, I definitely don't know uh, everything about it. You know, so I, I think being able to be humble about it and, and just kind of have like a real conversation with people is it's underrated. And Dude, I so much, so much underrated these days. It's it's practically impossible, especially on any form of social media platform to just oh, like one way. Yeah, just ha have fucking conversation with somebody, even even if it is like, you know, through comments and this and that, just the, the attitude's always shitty. But it seems that when it comes to live things, people kind of really just want to talk and 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 have a have a normal discussion. And that's super awesome. It's super hard nowadays, which sucks. Public discourse is just like at an all time low right now because of all this Oof. politics. Yep. And everything. We kind of got in that last week and I realized that I said some words I probably shouldn't have said, but whatever. Shit happens, man. Somebody will come and yell at you, yell at you for it later. <laughs> right. um, so let's do a let's do a quick break for uh, you know we're we're running kind of long, and I expected that to be with this new format that oh, yeah. uh, episodes may be a little longer than they have been. So good for you, listeners. Um, so quick break to discuss any new pickups, you know, new shoes you got, or any any cool shit, you know, just some friendly shit shooting shoosting. I definitely didn't. I didn't mean to pick up any of the shoes that i picked up this week but i picked up a good eight pairs i picked up zero yeah i happened i don't know why oh i found myself in vacaville and i went to vacaville and i found it um those they had a full size room as those jordan one high i think it's starburst or something like that sunkissed or something like that so it's basically just a, a it looks like a shattered backboard almost but it's um, not so i bought two pairs of those uh, retail, which I thought was kind of cool. I'm just going to sit on those for a while. Dude, I went to, I found this new thrift store today uh, in around where I live. And I found a pair of, uh, I've been looking for a pair of lava domes for a long time. I found a pair of lava domes in my size, brand new dead stock from 2006, which I'm just like enamored with. I found a pair of Jordan 2s, uh, two lows, the same ones that are coming out, except um, without the clear midsole. Right. I found a pair of play clothes Sauconies. So that's the Pusha T collab from you know, uh, 10 plus years ago. Um, Strange Fruit. And I found a pair of Zoom Elite P-Rods. 
um, which I'm super stoked on. I mean, it's the laser Mexican pair. So uh, laser single to mile pair. Um, I'm going to be uh, dropping these on on the whatnot stream next week. Yeah. It's a pair of size 13s, and they look to be dead stuff. But these are also from 2008 or so. Really cool pair. And then I found two pairs of Yom TV wraps Pumas, the Big Daddy Kane version in my size, which I've been looking for for 10 years. And, uh, Damn. And the Dr. Dre and Ed Lover pair, which I just I couldn't let them sit there at the thrift store by themselves. So those are of course. Red stock in, in the box. So I was not planning on picking anything up, um, but I, I got a few pairs. Also, I got a sample Grey Goose Dunk SBs with white and gum sole. White and gum sole. Excuse me, you got what now? What size are those? Sample pair, size nine. Son of a bitch. So I hit on my dude, Nike, uh, the Nike SB market, and I asked him. How much I could get for him? He said six hundred to a thousand. Yeah. So I'm definitely not going to wear those. I'm probably going to send those on to him, and I think he means that he could get that much for him because he has a huge marketplace for Nike SBs. Yeah. And I got my Void sneakers back, which I didn't tell anybody about yet. Oh yes. Well, except me. Okay, Void sneakers. I'll uh, should I go over them real quick? Hell yeah, dude, go for it. We're about to segue into the next section anyway, so this is perfect. Okay, so the Void Sneakers, basically, uh, we have this this guy who I've been kind of interacting with on Instagram for the better part of, for more than a year, I'd say. His name's Void Equipment, and he's out of Texas, and he has this really cool brand aesthetic. Um, last year, he decided to make his own version of a Jordan 1, handmade in Italy, with premium materials, premium leather, and he told me he was going to send me a pair. And I didn't ask him for one, but he uh, he said he just wanted to send me a pair because he thought he, he liked uh, the platform that I had kind of created on sneakers a lot so um i didn't bother him about it but then when i saw uh this nft project that came out the void um visitors of amadigen pfp project which is super dope it's it's basically like alien pfps that they've turned into 3d models which you can take in anywhere in the metaverse and they, they've actually delivered that for you uh, and i realized that there was a great unique branding opportunity there because my buddy's sneaker company is called void and it's actually branded with Void. And the PFP that I was interested in is also called Void. So his shoe was actually a white on white with a little kind of like a jewel opal in the middle. And uh, I thought, wow, I bet we could actually paint these the color of my PFP. So I hit on my buddy. His name is Mario. Mario Restores in Sacramento. And I said, hey, would you mind painting these in these colors? And me and Sons of Black Maria came up with a few different um versions of what we wanted it to look like and uh and he said sure so um he's been painting them for a couple weeks the hardest part he said was color matching and mm -hmm. uh i i just got them back today and they look they look fucking amazing so i'm, I'm probably gonna post them on the on the gram within the next day or two cool. um, but i'm gonna open this up for orders so anybody who has a void anyone who has a void nft uh, and wants to get a pair of um, custom made void sneakers in the color of your nft will be able to do so i think i mean they look so dope to me i mean i really like the, the colors of mine it's basically like a maroon and baby blue uh and like a black which matches my void pfp and then i did one i did a pair for sons uh sons of black maria um that looks almost like the jordan uh, spider-man jordan one spider-man it's just slightly mm -hmm. different colors but uh, yeah like i said i'm gonna post those on the gram in the next couple days that's super dope, man. I've been looking at those voids like crazy. I'm trying to pick one out. Yeah, these are sick. 
it's it's, awesome. it's definitely going to catch your eye when you see it on the ground though, the, the pictures that uh, mario had come up with too he came up with some great pictures for him that's awesome man yeah yeah so um shit as far as um the next section here it's perfect because i i didn't i didn't buy shit i haven't bought shit for sneakers in in weeks like the last i think the last pair i got in was those uh those laser air max okay uh, 90s yeah yeah those things are nice like the quality is incredible it's a great looking pair they really are and dude they're poofy like dunks huh interesting they're okay. huge like i couldn't i couldn't i'll send you some pictures but they're ridiculously wide Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. But anyway, we're gonna move on to to section two here, our our brand new endeavor. Um, we're gonna do some non fungible topics. Um, non fungible topics. Good. NFTs. Yes, sir. NFTs. Um, if anybody follows me on Instagram, you would have saw my story the other day. Um, I, I thought NFTs were the dumbest fucking thing for the longest time until I really started talking with Savant about it, and he taught me a lot of things. and And I think that's part of the reason we really wanted to do this on on the on the podcast as well, because the people are really are missing out. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, dude, again, like I've been a collector of all things, like not all things, but a lot of things. Like I've been collecting something all my life. It, it, it's fucked up. I get it psychologically. Maybe there's a problem in my brain or something missing, but like I've collected things for, I've always collected something, you know, maybe it was toys, maybe it was baseball cards, maybe it was comic books or video games or, cds or shoes or clothes i mean like i've always just had a need to collect things and maybe it's an evolutionary thing um hunters gatherers i mean i i don't know what it is but uh the the, the very thought about collecting digital goods to me was just so stupid right and when i first heard about um nfts probably three or four years ago maybe it was two years ago um i i, I still had the same thought that most people actually voice uh in the real world and that's oh i could just right click save as and to me like okay that was my first thought too but when i thought about it for more than five minutes it was like i could also just run a, a, a single dollar bill through a copy machine i could also take a photo of the mona lisa i could also you know get a bootleg and none of it fucking matters like none of it holds the same value as it original so thinking about it in terms of blockchain, it all it all started to, to really make sense to me once uh, I had created my cards, right? Because when I created my cards, I basically created my own set of collectibles that I came up with creatively on my own. No one helped me with that shit. I came up with the idea on my own. I mean, sure, there was people who helped me with the illustrations and whatnot, but um, coming up with the idea of a collectible, what was 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 me, right? So so. That's when I fully actually understood the idea about NFTs. And I, I thought, um, if you're not a person who collects shit, of course you wouldn't care. Why would you care? Right? It's not, <laughs> you know, you're not, a, you're not into collecting things. Okay, fine. But like, look at guys like Franelations. I mean, Franelations, I mean, bless his heart, the guy uh, is doing this work 20 hours a day, just posting uh, new PFPs and all of his investments. And I mean, he's got hundreds if not thousands of PFPs at this point, and he's probably made a fucking fortune doing it, right? Like he is also the definition of a collector, maybe to a different degree than I am. Sure. Like I, I try to keep a, a hold on it just because it's super, it can be really stressful to me, but it, it looks like he, he's able to just go wild. And he's, I mean, he's probably the most active voice in the space at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know he's he's definitely turned a lot of people into believers just, just who, who follow his account and 
follow his advice and make money off it. Uh, I mean, me on the other hand, like I'm still kind of quiet about it because I want to get my product out there. I want to create my product. I don't mm-hmm. want. I don't necessarily want to let the cat out of the bag until I actually have the cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta have the cat before you can let it out. Yeah, I mean, I have the idea. And it's all sketched out, and I got some really. Uh, I mean, like some of these people who want to be involved in some aspect, it blows my mind. Like people who, I don't, I don't know. Again, I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to say much. But like, I'd say some of the smartest, most rock star people in the respective fields that I know that not only I know, but like the world knows wants to work on some of the stuff and they've reached out to me specifically to work on some of the stuff. So I'm very, I'm very hopeful that I can pull something together. Um, the thing about NFTs right now is that obviously we've seen a few ideas that have hit and there's a ton of companies and a ton of people who are running with the ideas that have already hit. But to me, I feel like a lot of the, uh, value in these things that have hit, um, it, it leaves a little bit to, to be desired. So I feel like we're all kind of on the precipice right now, waiting, wondering what's coming next. And a bunch of people are trying to do it. And it feels like it's on the tip of our brains. And the minute somebody figures it out, I mean, there's going to be a hundred more people who, 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 who understand it just like that. And it's so interesting to be a part of and to watch up close like this that I, I mean, to me, dude, nothing holds uh, promise of my future. The idea of NFTs does. It's it's an amazing thing for creators. And um, I did want to backpedal just a little bit for people who are, are new here to NFTs. Um, and just a quick explanation of actually what the word blockchain means, because you're going to hear it a lot. Um, and I'm just going to read off a definition. I grabbed this from IBM.com. I figured they were fairly reputable as far as computers go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So blockchain is a shared immutable ledger that facilitates the process of recording transactions and tracking assets in a business network. So put super simply, it's a statement of transactions that you cannot fuck with. That's it. You can't. You can't. I mean, you could copy it. That's fine. You cannot um, change it. Like you think about a bank, a bank like Bank of America probably has, you know, uh, they have one database with everybody's transactions in it. And maybe they have 10 or 20 or 50 offsite locations. Uh, If you were a hacker and you were able to figure out the 50 offsite locations, you could pretty much overwrite all of the bank data. Uh, When it comes to blockchain, um, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of computers that are holding this up. Uh, in, um, you, you cannot control or hack any of it unless you take down those tens, hundreds of thousands of computers that are holding it up. That shit is nuts. Sorry, I got I got distracted thinking about something else for a second there. But yes, that I find that absolutely incredible that we have a way that we can. There's no other way to put it. It is an immutable ledger. It's it's yeah. perfect for the exact thing that Savant and I are constantly talking about, which is authenticity. Yeah, but, you know, and a lot of people have this argument, oh, well, it could go down. Sure, I mean, if there's an electrical surge, Bitcoin goes down, you know, but so does your bank balance because it's all online anyway. And so does your mm-hmm. ATM. And at that point, is the U.S. dollar actually even worth uh, a U.S. dollar or is it worth more to be used as toilet paper than a U.S. dollar, right? So, I mean, a lot of the arguments that I see people give against uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and blockchain are uh, 
they do not apply the same logic to what we currently use. And that's where I think a lot of it actually falls flat. Uh, yeah. In my opinion, it's a much better way to facilitate financial transactions. And NFTs are a much better way to facilitate collectible transactions. Um, and and I'm, I'm starting to believe that way too. I mean, it was, like I said, when we, when we started discussing this, I, I was not yeah. for it at, at all. Like uh, I literally, like I, I was clowning you at the time. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, you do whatever the fuck you're doing. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, dude, I, I didn't, I didn't jump into stuff to make a million dollars. I jumped in it because I thought it was cool. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's kind of like, I'm glad that I found value in something that a lot of other people found value in as well. You know, and I think the value now, it's, it's palpable. I mean, it's yeah. Oh, it, it's the air is thick with NFT value. Yeah. And it's funny because when they first hit the scene, um, they went on like a two, three month run and then like no one gave a shit about them for like a month. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know what happened that kickstarted again, kickstarted them again, but they kickstarted them. And in, in, I mean, this is unimaginable what's happening right now. I mean, for anyone who's kind of new to the space right now, uh, Bored Apes have basically, they basically 100x in the span of three months. And there are currently Bored Apes on Sotheby's right now. Uh, and the auction goes for another few days. And I think the auction for 101 board apes is uh, somewhere around $10 million. And that's, I mean, $10 million to, for fucking, again, NFTs, right? Well, and like all of this, all of this hype around, around NFTs is also pushing the value of Ethereum. Yeah, you know? Ethereum. Okay, it's at four point eight million dollars right now, with Jeez. four and a half days left. Um, now the value of Ethereum is it's it's interesting. It, it's crazy right now because part of the the thing about Ethereum is that it, you need to pay gas fees to uh, participate in the transaction. So it's not really necessarily a fee that goes to Ethereum. It goes to the people who hold up the the, the ledger. Um, that fee is then equally distributed amongst them, um, but. Because Ethereum has been on such a tear lately with NFTs, the simple cost of doing something like sending $10 to a friend in Ether, in Ether costs something like 100 bucks at any given time of day. So instead of sending your friend $10, you then have to pay $100 to the miners in order to get $10 to your friend, which is absurd. And it's, it, this is not how this stuff was meant to work. And I know that you know the, the founders and co-founders and developers of Ethereum are definitely trying to uh, mitigate this issue, but I, I have probably canceled more than uh, 100 transactions in the past two weeks because of the price of gas, the price of ether gas. Uh, the Adam Bob squad thing, dude, I bought, when I clicked buy now, uh, with my MetaMask wallet, I was buying 10, um, I wanna say there was 10 Atom Bombs for the price of 0.85 ETH. And uh, at the time that's about a, it's about two thousand um, dollars. They wanted to charge me gas of fifteen hundred dollars on that transaction, so I was paying thirty five hundred dollars for ten atom bombs. I that that transaction got stuck, and now what happens with a stuck transaction is you you lose the transaction, but they still charge you gas. And so I had to do some quick Googling and figured out a way that I could kind of undo the transaction. And I figured it out, thank God. But I was freaking out that I was going to lose $1,500 for nothing 
Yo, yeah, I was about to say. So does that mean like if that happens, you would get no NFTs and be paying gas? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So th there are definitely some issues with uh, the Ether Ethereum model right now, and um, you know, holding the network up. Uh, but you know, they, they've been talking about fixing it for five years, and I think um, this is really kind of the the, the push they need to really yeah. actually get it out there because it, it's it's absurd the amount of, of money that this stuff costs at this point yeah I, dude you're saying that's you know you you paid two two thousand for for the bombs and and fifteen hundred in gas that's eighty percent like that's seventy five percent yeah like well and i mean there's plenty shit. of people who are spending more than a hundred percent on a transaction so if you see a transaction that's like a hundred bucks, okay, I see an NFT I want for a hundred bucks, you're paying at least a hundred dollars in gas to 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 put that transaction through. So I've kind of taken a step back from a lot of it right now. Um, I have my little vault of, of NFTs that I bought a couple months ago, um, but like I haven't been actively doing like what Fran is doing. Like Fran is buying a hundred a day, you know, and Jeez. he's in and out and he's making all this money with it. It looks like, um, but I. I kind of want to just take a little step back, build my own thing instead of just flipping things all day, uh, and and wait until these gas wars start to start to, to to cool things down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, with, with anything that expands like this, the solutions will come in time. You know, we'll, we'll see the the gas fee reduced, hopefully sooner rather than later. But it's definitely, like you said, it's got to be on their mind, and they have to. They got to be close. Well, it's been in their, I mean, it's been in their project roadmap for, for several years right. uh, to a point where like gas fees are going to be nothing. I don't even know if they're going to have gas fees. It's going to be, uh, you can read all about it. I mean, uh, it, to me, it, it doesn't totally interest me. The dev side of it doesn't totally interest me as much as the um, theoretical side. So, but it's right. all over, you know, they talk about it all the time. People talk about it on Twitter all the time. They talk shit. And there's this old famous clip about uh, the, the guy who founded, um, Ethereum, he was a 19-year-old developer from uh, Russia. Um, there's this old famous interview where they asked him why he did it. And he said, there's no way that the future of money should cost five cents a transaction. And he was like making fun of Bitcoin that it costs five cents to, to transfer money. Whereas now, <laughs> Ethereum, it's like you're not even trading money and you're spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to, to trade this stuff. Oof. So, did that, that, that one didn't age well. Didn't age well. No, no. Well, I've got a, I've got a question now. So, like, say that you know you, you did quite a few NFTs for the Donkey Dunks. Uh, there's even one for from the A24 pack, and 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 uh, these ones for the for the Air Max packs coming up. But um, so say that you wanted to just give one to somebody. Do would who are you paying gas on that? Yeah. Anytime you Oops. transfer it, anytime you transfer from wallet one wallet to another, even if you're transferring to your own wallets, you have to pay gas. So. Uh, when I sold all those NFTs, um, it was funny because I made something like $1,600. And then when I actually went through the ledger and looked at how much I actually made, I paid more than $800 in gas fees. So at the Oof. end of the day, I only made, you know, seven dollars $800 on those. And then I gave yeah. a big portion of that to the artist who helped me come up with the stuff. But um, it, y yeah, that's when I kind of had to rethink my strategy as far as what I wanted to do with NFTs because it, I want them to have more utility. I want them to be able to create more value for people. So a lot of people bought NFTs because they believe that what I'm doing is, is uh, righteous. They like who I am. Maybe they like the stories that I tell. They like how uh, 
how into stuff I can get. And I think that that's why they bought them. Um, but all I've been thinking about since I sold those is how I could actually create value for those token holders and how I could create value in the future through NFTs. So, I mean, I'm not joking. Every day I touch base with at least five different people um, who I've more or less taught all about NFTs. And we, we, you know, we all use our unique skill set to try and bring something together in order to get it done. And this one project that I'm working on right now, again, I'm not going to tell anybody about it until it's pretty solid, but like, I think it's going to be really interesting once it once it gets out there. And it, it's trying to create value for holders of the token uh, in a way, I, I, I don't know how to say it without saying too much, but. Well, just, you could leave it right there. You're just trying to create value for holders of the tokens. Correct. That's it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. We're, I'm so sure we're all really excited about that. I, I know I am. Um, so we've got one more thing here. So let's say hypothetically I bought an NFT and you know, we'll we'll use the we'll use the voids for this example because those are the ones I've been looking at. Um, after I buy it, what what do I what can I do with it? What do I do with it? Well, voids and voids in particular, like void has not taken off like most of the other ones. And it, it to me it's almost like perception over substance. So uh, Void has basically made these promises that they'd allow us 3D generative models of our of our PFPs two weeks after mint, and they actually did deliver on that. Uh, people have been using Voids as their 3D avatar in uh, Grand Theft Auto. If you look at, I sent a Twitter thread to a few people um, last week about why somebody believes in Voids, and he showed all these different examples of uh, people using their, their void PFPs already in the metaverse. So these- Oh, it was awesome. Sandbox, yeah. I mean, somebody did like, they recreated Thriller with different void PFPs. And void, what they remind me of uh, is, um, I, I said this on one of my posts, uh, but all the dev rooms I've been in, so I've been in rooms with developers and they're, they're, there's no fluff, there's no, uh, fancy talking. It's just, this is what we've created. This is what we want to do. And there's no marketing behind it. It's just, this is what we created. And to me, that's what Void is. Because Void has already delivered on all the promises that they said that they were going to deliver on. They are, uh, in my opinion, they're the gold standard for um, what you can actually do with your your apes, or your your PFPs. Wow. Talk about Freudian sit right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you do talk about the apes quite a bit. Well, the apes, I mean, to me, the apes, the thing that got me about the apes is the idea about commercial you own commercial rights to your ape. Yeah, yeah. I had a note made about that. I thought that was super awesome. You know, so for people that don't understand exactly what that means, um, when you have commercial rights for something, you can make stuff out of it and sell it for dollars. Yeah. So people have already put apes in comic books and books. And uh, I think some apes are supposed to be in like a live action movie. Um, and they're already starting to make money off their apes. And the reason that that's different than the first PFP project, which is CryptoPunks, is that uh, apparently CryptoPunks, I want to say Larva Labs owns uh, all the rights to their um, to their punks. Damn. So, you know, you buy a $100,000 PFP and you can't even use it, you know, commercially and make money off it legally. So that's why Bored Apes are kind of dope because they allowed you to do that. And that's actually why I was interested in buying them to begin with. So, um, but Voids, on the other hand, they also give you full commercial uh, use of them. It's just I don't think they're very interested in using them commercially. I think people just wanted to use them. The developers just wanted to use them in the metaverse. And that's why <laughs> I thought yeah. it was dope. So a lot of the stuff they've already done is just super sick. And um, 
you know who's like the biggest cheerleader for voyages right now? Um, Jack Black. Uh, I think it's uh, Ja Rule. I want to say Ja Rule. No shit. Yeah, Ja Rule gave a couple voids away recently. Um, void, I'm a D-Gen. Yeah, so yeah, man. okay, so he's actually doing a, he's gonna do a, a um, like a like a, a metaverse um, concert as his void, which is super <laughs> interesting. I mean, like I don't know how many people are gonna go and check that out, but like that's a super interesting application of this idea. Yeah, that that really is. You know, I'm I'm looking at them right now. I got the got the open seat pulled up, and dude, these things are fucking cool. I found this, this one with a chef hat. I want this chef hat guy, man. That's a good one because that matches your personality and everything. That's what I'm saying, man. I cooked for 15 years and it's got Harry Potter glasses and fucking a black t-shirt and a chef hat. Okay, that's my normal my normal getup. Well, I, I mean, I've kind of said this to everyone. I don't know if voids are really going to be worth anything in the future. You know, they don't have like a big marketing team. They're not all that um, poppy about it. You know, they, they don't talk about it a lot. They just execute. And unfortunately in the world, like unless you have a big marketing team, um, and people talking about you all the time, uh, you don't necessarily make it, even if you're executing on everything, right? So yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say, you know, go out and buy a bunch of voids. Um, I would say if you find them interesting and you find the promise of it interesting, you know, it's, they're still relatively cheap in the space. So, uh, I mean, that's why I bought them. I just thought they were dope. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Like, I, I'm, I'm trying to make my NFT decisions not just based on the flippening, I just want to, yeah. you know, I want to like the thing that I and that I get. And especially with these voids that I think is so fucking cool is that not only does that that 3D avatar that, you know, you can apply that to your metaverse or to any 3D application. But dude, I can also 3D print that guy. Yes, I think that's fucking cool. I got a couple 3D printers like literally right behind me and I could just load them up in there and print figures of my dude and sell them. Yeah, there's fucking just cool. a lot of cool collectible things you can do with these. You know these pfps it's just trying to put the next piece in line that i think is going to be it's fun it's what we're all kind of struggling with right now in the space is figuring out how to how to get the next piece to the next puzzle piece to fit yeah there's there's for me it's it's the um the multitude of options like uh, a man with too many choices goes nuts right i really feel that it's just there's there's too many directions in which you can go when it comes to, to, to these NFTs. Wrapping up another episode of Office Hours, make sure you're following the Sneaker Savant and Byshoof Instagrams. Subscribe to the Substack newsletter. Get a crypto wallet. Stay tuned. Stay safe. Stay classy.